0: Welcome to episode number 16 of the Canadian Prepper Podcast, recorded March 12th, 2019. My name is Eric, I'm the host of the show. I'm based in Southern Ontario. I'm a hunter, target shooter, ham operator, VE3EPN, and computer geek. I got into preparedness when I was working frontline emergency services and witnessed an over-alliance of emergency services during major events such as ice storms, power outages, etc. I started a small preparedness company to help people get prepared, and to be able to look after themselves for at least 72 hours, if not longer.
1: Greetings from an alternate secure location, my name is Ian and I live on a small hobby farm. I'm an outdoor enthusiast, sport shooter, reloader and my farm's designated handyman. My professional background has taught me to adapt to unexpected situations and also reinforces my belief that learning never ends
2: i'm alan my friends and family call me a safety nerd Uh, my background as a first responder keeps my eyes on safety above all else i teach first aid i coach my family and friends to be better prepared i'm a locksmith by trade i've worked in the physical security industry for more than uh, 20 years now and despite what you may not be seeing on youtube i am in fact the same person i was going to ask what you done with the real alan (laughs) it's the clock that that gives it away i don't know (laughs) <laughs> Has anybody ever seen another clock like this anywhere? Like, it, it, this is something you can't fake. That's right. All right, we'll, we'll
0: leave you <laughs> for now until we can prove otherwise.
3: <laughs> so yeah, and I'm Chris Gilmore, uh, I'm the guest on today's episode, thanks for having me on guys. Uh, my roots and passion are in the outdoors and everything to do with self-reliance. So I've worked over 12 years as a backcountry wilderness guide leading canoe trips and dog sled expeditions often in remote locations. I've trained with survive, in survival and ecology uh, all over Canada and the US, and I also have been teaching wilderness and urban survival uh, along with tracking and ecology skills for 12 years. Uh, I'm a modern-day homesteader, a martial artist, and over the past five years, I've actually gone back to school to study emergency and disaster management, and uh, I've been starting to work in emergency and disaster consulting. Uh, I also have a blog, changingworldproject.com, where I kind of bring all of those different elements of what I do together. Awesome. Well, thanks for joining us tonight, Chris. and.
0: Uh We've got some uh, wild content for you in this episode. <laughs> uh, we're going to start off with some news articles relating to preparedness in the outdoors. Next, we'll be letting you know how we've improved our preparedness since our last episode. Then we're going to get into the main topic for this episode, wilderness ecology and survival. I guess we'll move into some news.
2: Oh, we got a whole bunch of it this week. Um, it's been all over the internet, a man in Oregon, survived five days in his car with his dog after being snowed in um, he credits his survival to a whole bunch of hot sauce packets from Taco Bell uh, we all know that that's absolute shenanigans that uh, we can go a lot longer than five days without food and hot sauce is not sustainable uh, as a result Taco Bell has given him apparently free food for a year I think I would rather have expired in the car but maybe, maybe, the,
3: maybe the taco sauce helped him actually keep the car warm
2: Ah. Oh, I mean, I'm just, wondering, I'm just yeah. wondering how how bad that smelled with the dog after the hot sauce a couple of days in. Yeah, it's that like was a hot, my hot box yeah. horribly wrong or something. Yeah, but, no, no. And,
1: and by oh. any chance, it, by any chance, was the dog a, a chihuahua?
2: <laughs> oh, <No. laughs> <laughs> in, in a perfect world, yes.
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, just think of the salt intake and no water except for <laughs> snow. I mean, oh, uh, okay,
2: no, no, not interested. I'm just um, bell, like, yeah, no, I don't know. In in other news, um, apparently North Korea is uh, restarting one of the launch sites. There's a link to that in the show notes. Um, some satellite imagery shows that a couple of a couple of launch sites have been recently active. Um, those some of these sites have been previously used to launch um, satellites and could easily, apparently, be adapted to you to uh, ballistic missiles. So that's um, another mildly terrifying thing, given that. Uh, in Trump, were not exactly at uh, at peace at the end of their last meeting, uh, so that's a thing. And another one that I found really interesting is that Venezuela has actually closed its border to aid shipments. Uh, so the border with Brazil has been physically blocked, and the government is now restricting food, water, and medicine within its within its own borders. So if you don't have a solid supply, you have whatever the government is giving you, and see how, how well that's going to go for everybody in the very near future. And something that is mildly terrifying, more than mildly terrifying, especially if you are stuck inside that country.
1: Well, especially when everybody's already, they call it the Maduro diet. They've all lost like 20 plus pounds in the last year on average. And, uh, you know, when you're already short on food, the best thing they could possibly do is to block any external food inputs. <laughs> like, it's, What are they thinking? I don't know, man.
2: Well, they're, they're thinking they want control, right? You can control the food, you control the water, you control the medicine, you control the people. And now they're, now the people aren't going to have any choice but to do what he says.
1: Yeah, it's crazy. And Chris, you had some stuff too? Yeah.
3: Sure. I mean, I've been uh, I've been really following the uh, the building stories about antibiotic resistance starting to grow. And there's a bunch of interesting studies that have come out this past week about how municipal water systems can actually be a breeding ground for antibiotic resistance because of the trace amounts of antibiotics that are just coming out of people uh, on a day to day basis. So that's an interesting one that uh, I've been following a little bit. Um, Another one I'm really thinking about. I don't know if this counts as news, uh, but. Here in Ontario, uh, some of you may know that Lyme disease and tick populations have been exploding the last couple of years. And there's been a lot of conversation around uh, what is the impact of long, cold winters on ticks? Uh, Some people think one of the reasons ticks are moving north is because we're not getting those long, cold winters. Uh, And we've had a really long, cold winter. There's still a ton of snow on the ground. uh, And I'm kind of thinking that that's not actually one of the variables. So I'm really curious to see what tick populations do this year. Uh, They've definitely been going up exponentially the last few. Uh, and how that relates to disease and personal safety. So.
1: Well, it's amazing what they do find in the tap water systems too. I remember like in uh, New York city and stuff because of so many women being on the birth control pill, they were actually peeing out the extra estrogen <laughs> and they were catching trace amounts now of the, the result of years and years of having the municipal water base being exposed to the pill. And they're actually being able to measure that now. That's, That's Yeah. It's, i'll tell you disgusting the fact that drinking the same water basically <laughs> it's a terrible <laughs> rule but treating it then re-drinking it so
3: good reason to get yourself a Berkey filter if you're on a municipal oh, eh?
1: oh there you God. go
3: yeah that's one of the reasons why i'm glad i'm on a
0: well system yeah, me too.
1: <laughs> yeah so i had a couple of minor uh one minor article that basically i just thought was interesting the fact that alberta got an earthquake which you don't hear about too often wasn't a big one uh so i put a link in there to calgary news uh basically they got a 4.6 uh on the richter scale uh, magnitude earthquake and uh so that was just a bit of a a shake-up literally for them because they hadn't uh, had one of those before so uh, uh, made me really
2: itchy all of a sudden thanks to the (laughs) thanks to the TikTok. oh they're disgusting aren't they yeah it's not the lack of a beard no, I had, had nothing to do with that. It's, 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 it's <laughs> wow. really not itchy for the first time ever. To be
3: honest, out of everything going on in the world right now, that tick one is one of the ones that worries me the most. As an outdoors guy, like, oh, they're yeah. gross. And line disease is no yeah. joke.
2: You know? no, I, I'm, I'm itchy all over now. I, I appreciate that. Well, it used to be uh,
1: limited just to Point Pele down there in Ontario, right? It used to be like the extreme for south years, of Ontario. Yeah. And then now it seems to have just gone way north because I remember I, I got bit by a tick there and that was kind of a surprise when I was still living there. And then uh, the last deer I shot actually in, uh, in BC here was just covered head to toe in ticks. Wow. And uh, so it got so bad that we actually, after we finished skinning it out, we actually had to like do a self-inspection to make sure there's no ticks attached. I had one actually attached to me. So
3: Yeah. So well, well I've, been for, uh, say, I've been in this area for, for 15 years now and uh, the last... 13 years never found one tick out in the woods all the time two years ago I pulled the first one off me this past year I pulled off two and pulled off two off of my dog so literally wow. It's 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 spreading that fast and we're a long ways from point peely so
1: Yeah, it's
2: amazing. I'm, I'm not a long ways from point Pelee, and I see I, t- I get ticks around here pretty regularly. <laughs>
1: Jeez. So, is the big, uh, relating to what Alan was talking about before, too, is so there's been a power outage in Venezuela now. And it's been over five days. I think we're on day seven now. Um, at first, they thought it was just a, a Stuxnet virus, and then they, they said, well, maybe somebody's been uh, sabotaging the local hydroelectric dam. And so, basically, now they've had... Uh, well, so five solid days. They're into six, six and a half now. I think since the article was written, but um, yeah, massive riots. Look at that. So uh, people have been oh, ransacking. Sure. Yeah, ransacking supermarkets. They've had to deploy the military to act as police, and uh, sure enough, the people are actually starting to rebel against the government because they have no food or power. You can imagine wow.
2: that. I'm, sho- I'm shocked to hear this. I'm, I mean, I'm I'm deeply saddened to hear this. I really am. Like it, it's, uh, it's easy to make light of it while I'm sitting in my warm, comfortable house in a you know, reasonable society. But um, I, I just I can't imagine what it's like to live in that in that environment. Like it must be so disheartening to just. Well.
1: Yeah, it, it, the fact is, that they're basically, they're doing the exact opposite of what they should be doing to actually fix the problem, but they're carrying on, and uh, it's going to come to a head, I think, in the very short term, because this, this can't carry on like this forever, and, I mean, they always say nine meals from anarchy, while well, they're past the nine meal stage, and uh, look at that, they're in anarchy, so, I mean, I don't know. Well, and it turns out, actually, a uh, funny side note uh, in one of these stories, they mentioned that Maduro's own cousin, brother, and one of his daughters all escaped the country now and uh, declared refugee status in the neighboring country because they got sick of it. <laughs>
0: so, <laughs> oh, wow.
1: So, it's like, it's getting bad. Anyway, yeah. so it's, wow. there's certainly a few lessons to be taken away from that. I'm thinking as well for uh, food self-reliance. Like I am sure we're going to talk about maybe knowing your, uh, your local area and of course, uh, the, you know, how to deal with power outages usually solves most of your problems, right?
0: All right. Well, maybe we'll move into what we've uh, done lately for our preps. So uh, for myself, since the, the last episode, I've been hanging out in the nation's capital, being in Ottawa, uh, hopping hotels yet again. I sound like a broken record. Every episode we record, I'm coming back from another hotel. <laughs> but, uh, anyways, uh, I took the opportunity this time round to, uh, to practice what uh, Andrew from the Canadian Patriot podcast had suggested a few episodes ago uh, in regards to uh, planning out some routes of exit in the hotel and not just having one route, uh, which normally m- be the main one they want you to take walking in the front doors into the elevator. Uh, so I mapped out the, uh, the east and west stairwells. I had a good walk around majority of the hotel, just get a good feel for it, what was around, and, uh, and got a couple points of uh, of exit plotted out and, and figured out. Uh, funnily enough, at one point my uh, my room ended up flooding while I was away, so that was interesting. Um, but hey, it is what it is. Nothing got damaged, but the the roof and the bathroom fell in a little bit, so that uh, that made life a little more interesting. Uh, I also restocked and uh, rebuilt uh, our home uh, first aid kit. Uh, it was time for uh, a refresh of some plot, of some supplies, and uh, with the time change, uh, as the saying goes, uh, set your clocks and check your stocks. So I uh, went through and checked the first aid kit out, and, and uh, yeah, I was due for a refresh, so I uh, got that all refreshed and good to go.
1: You you just, yeah, you just reminded me. I'm a bad man. I um, actually I didn't change the batteries on my fire alarms and my CO detector for uh, for this weekend. Uh-oh. Oh, oh, that's next week. <laughs>
3: Hey, Eric, you ever, uh, you ever count doors to the uh, the staircase from your room? I always think that you wake up and the hallway is uh, uh, How many doors to the emergency exit if you're crawling on your hands and knees?
0: Good call. Yeah, I didn't, uh, I didn't think about counting the doors. But yeah, if you're in a situation of uh, low light or no light or, or just a smoke-filled hallway and you got to count the doors the, to figure out how many to get to, yeah, do an exit yeah. or something.
3: Especially in a new good place, call. right? Like in my house, I can get anywhere blindfolded, but in a hotel room, like that could be a real mess, not even be able to find your way out if for some reason, you know, the emergency lighting isn't working or. Yeah, well,
2: the call. reality is you're not going to be able to see the emergency lighting if, the, if this hallway is filled with smoke. I mean, sure, our, yeah. our plastic yeah. our plastic lives mean that the, yeah, the emergency <laughs> lights are up nice and high so that they illuminate a large area but They get blocked over really quickly if there's any smoke in the, in the hallway.
1: That's a good point. I mean, normally I have yeah. trouble finding the bathroom in the dark hotel room as it is. So I mean, I can't imagine trying to like crawl down the hallway and figure out where the emergency exit is.
2: Yeah, good call. I'm adding that to the list no. of things to do now. There you go. <laughs> and also when you when you do find those emergency exit stairwells, make sure you look at the bottom of them because some some jurisdictions, not all, but some of them actually mandate that they actually put a, a, a luminous glow in the dark sticker at the bottom of the door that says exit. Uh, but they they uh-huh. usually feel different. They usually have a kick plate. They'll have a uh, they'll have a crash bar instead of a turn handle for the most part. So yep. um, take take a note of the the differences in that door versus all the other doors. They'll usually be smooth rather than textured and paneled like your like your hotel room door might be, like your suite door. So um, take a look at all the differences as you're as you're doing mm-hmm. that, so you can find it in the dark. That's a great point, Chris. Yeah. And
1: also keep in mind that some of them are exit only. If you go down the staircase, you might not be able to get out unless you go right out through the bottom floor.
2: Um, well, every yeah. so National Building Code says every five floors has to be a re entry has to be a re entry floor at the mountain. Oh there you go. Yeah. So if you're if you're up high and you should never you should never stay higher than the sixth floor, by the way, because that's about as high as uh, most fire most fire trucks can reach. Um but if you're if you're up nice and high then if those doors are locked, then every fifth floor is a re entry floor. Oh.
1: Didn't know that. Look <laughs> at that. Jeez, well, I've learned two things. I gotta stop now. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
2: we've only- forgotten in the meantime.
1: Yeah. We're
0: only at what we've done lately and we're already learning. This is great. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, for myself, I hatched out some more meat birds. I uh, didn't mean for them to be meat birds, but we got a lot more males than we planned. So uh, anyways, we have more chickens and uh, that's always good. Uh, so I also continued to knock down some uh, power line problem trees that we had that were basically touching the power line. So come summertime, you don't want them sparking or catching on or anything else. Um, so which of course works out for more wood for the heat for the winter. Um, we continue to work on the fire break around the house. We're about, I'd say 80% done now around the house. Um, and because- uh, we have How fire- wide your break? Uh, Not as wide as I would like, but anywhere from, let's say, 20 to 50 yards just depends on the area because of the terrain and everything else. Oh. I like that the narrowest part has a, a road between us, so there is like a solid, like, other than the actual pavement, it's not very burnable. So anyway, uh, trust me, it's work in progress still. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: so, but we do the thing. Is there is a bit of a rush for us because after the heavy rain and snow, we also have a fire ban that takes effect uh, April first. So, we if we don't finish burning off the excess bush by April first, we can't burn it till the fall. So that becomes a bit of a problem too. So, anyways, uh, the good news is one of the local arborists, while he was doing his business, uh, he's got kind of a standing order with me to drop off any excess mulch because he has to pay to drop it off at the dump. But he dumps it at my house for free. So I, uh, I was. Spreading around on some paths around the house, which actually works out well, because then the chickens spread it around, and then it uh, they get the earthworms, the alpacas get whatever green stuff might be in there, and then the alpacas create poop, which also the chickens love to root through as well. So it's a nice little symbiotic system going on
2: there. Circle of life. We should remember yeah. about that.
1: Absolutely. So yeah, it worked out well. So the animals were all happy, and even I think the dog had some nice steamy uh, mulch that was decomposing to lay on, so he was happy too.
2: Awesome. Yeah. Last week, I uh, I signed up for a stop the bleed class. So if you uh, if you follow any of the uh, any of the tactical guys on any social media platform, stop the bleed is a fairly significant uh, uh, fairly significant um, process that they're going through and that involves wound packing and tourniquets and and taking a really hard stance on controlling bleeding quickly. Um, I actually discovered that it was put on by our local hospital at um, they say for free. I say for no extra charge because well. Um, but they're putting, but it's put on by the local hospital, which is pretty nice. So it's actually like ER doctors that are that are perform that are are doing the training, which is uh, which is kind of neat. Um, found a couple of books on uh, off grid and uh, survival wilderness medicine, which is neat. Um, I, I have that uh, that wilderness and remote first aid course coming up uh, end of April. in advance and uh, had, the, uh, had the insurance inspector through, got my hand slot for not having enough CO detectors. So I put a few more of those around and uh, still hitting the gym every, every morning to, uh, uh, to be able to carry my bug out bag all the way home if I need to. Uh, I now need to find some uh, face warning equipment uh, and then I guaranteed at least one more snowstorm by changing my winter car kit out for my spring and summer gear, uh, just because I have a road trip coming up and I needed the space mostly. So that's, uh, that's, that was, that was my week. That was, that's my, that's my preps for the week. Well, so now, you've
1: guy. Yeah, now you've done it. Yep. <laughs> so just, I don't want to trigger you here, but I mean, is this the part where they told you about using the tampons and the bullet holes and everything else?
2: This is the exact opposite of that. <laughs> um, <laughs> Oh man, like the number of times, like I, I teach, well, I've had, I've done what, seven courses, I've done, I've done seven courses in the last four weeks, seven first aid classes and somebody in every class is, well, what about tampons? And I say, tampon. tampons are, are fine for what they're intended for. I mean, you use the right tool for the right job. And those were never intended to, to plug a cavity. And that is what we're, that is what we're doing. They're a, um, they're, they're a cork, not a, they're a cork, not an absorber. So, um, They have their place, Uh, tourniquets have a much better place, and proper wound packing has an even better place. Um, So everybody that's listening, if you have tampons in your trauma kit and your plan is to use those for gunshot wounds, please reach up with your left or right hand, whichever you prefer, slap yourself and do it right. (laughs) That's all I'm going to say about that. It's not all I'm going to say about that. That's all I'm going to say about that right now.
1: (laughs) It would get you.
3: Chris. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Uh, you, that actually reminds me there, Alan. Uh, I remember looking into that Stop, uh, Stop the Bleed course about a year ago. Uh, I know yep. there was one being offered this way and uh, I want to put that back on my list. So, so thanks for the reminder on that one. Uh, yeah, it's uh,
2: it's it's a pretty it's a pretty cool system. I've I've seen I've seen a whole bunch of videos of how they of how they actually teach it. This actually came about because uh, a couple of local search and rescue guys were were posting about it on their on their social media. They the the, the local search and rescue guys uh, went through the class, and um, I kind of followed the followed the bouncing ball and found it available. That, uh, it's again one of those things along with you know basic first aid and CPR that I think just everybody should have. Um, uh, it's really easy to get to get caught up in the in the in the tactical. I've you know I'm going to end up in this combat situation, and you know I'm going to have multiple gunshot wounds. But reality is that um, a workplace accident or a car crash um, is far more likely to cause the problem. It's going to have the same effect, uh, especially if you're removed from assistance right around here i'm 10 minutes from an ambulance but if you're in a place where you're two hours to two days from help then you really need to be able to take care of the people around you if something bad happens
3: sure could even be a puncture wound out walking your dog in the forest absolutely trip on trip on trip on a root and fall on a stick like it's it's easy to have happen yeah awesome Uh, You know, I'll throw out just a quick little tip for for listeners here today, but I'm a huge advocate of wilderness first aid, even if you're an urban person that never goes into the bush, because wilderness first aid is all designed around a more than, you know, 12 to 24 hours from advanced help. So much of the basic first aid is really about, you know, buying time till the ambulance comes, whereas (laughs) the wilderness first aid, they actually get into diagnosing things, understanding how the body systems work, uh, how to actually improvise. Uh, So I really think everyone should take a wilderness first aid course at some point in their life as well. uh, that's
2: why why i'm going again it's it's been 15 years since i did my last one and i mean i teach this stuff every day but i teach exactly what you're saying like urban urban setting where i can pick up my i can pick up any phone anywhere call 911, and i'm going to get an ambulance in 10 minutes um which is you know for for everybody that's you know for everybody that lives in that environment that's
3: fine but it doesn't do any good if an ambulance yeah. And what about if a disaster strikes too? Like, I think back, what yep. when was the crazy ice storm that hit Ottawa and uh, all of Ontario? 1998. Yeah. So, 1998 yep. Ottawa ice storm. Like, you are in a remote scenario. The ambulance yep, isn't coming. They can't even get I, you.
2: I, I did. I did. I did first response in that in that time. I was in. I was in Quebec for a few for a few days. And, and yeah, we were we were days getting to people. Absolutely. Mm-hmm.
0: That's uh, certainly a good topic and maybe we'll move into it in a, in a future episode. But uh, let's move into the uh, the main topic of this show being uh, wilderness ecology and its role in survival. So, uh, so Chris, the, uh, the name of your blog, Changing World, can you tell us uh,
3: what the name means? Sure. Uh, well, the whole idea behind Changing World is, is just wanting to really start a conversation around how quickly the world is actually changing right now. And, um, and, and really just bring together thoughts and ideas around how to actually adapt and thrive in it, you know? Um, I see so many people, you know, talking about uh, whether it's climate change or like antibiotic resistance or how like AI and tech are shifting things, how the economy is changing, all these things. Uh, and everything seems so kind of like either excited or fear-based and very few people are talking about like what does it look like to actually adapt uh, and thrive amongst these changes. So really, I see it as a conversation to really look at all of these different aspects, whether it's the fact that, you know, the economy that uh, we've all been brought up in is going to be completely different in the next 20 years. Uh, So what does it look like to adapt to that? You know, the climate is changing, you know, and we won't get into all the politics of that. Uh, Climate's always in a state of change. What does it look like to just be an adaptable, resilient human that's paying attention to the changes uh, and being proactive in being adaptable and resilient so you can take care of your family? Uh, So that's the basic concept behind changing world. Awesome.
2: I mean, I was looking at the, I was reading your blog a little bit, the uh, doing, doing for the notes for this, as soon as we kind of found that you were coming on and um, it, what it looks to me is that uh, changing world seems to bridge a lot of different topics and perspectives. Um, how did, how did you come about this? Like what, how, how did the, how did you get from um, being somebody who enjoys camping to making this your, making this your, your, your real focus?
3: Yeah, Well, that's a real interesting story. You know, Um, I mean, I started out as the outdoors as my first passion, Um, you know, Camping Boy Scouts, the whole nine yards, getting into survival, the tripping kind of component. And then I got really attracted to the the risk management component of it. uh, And particularly the leadership skills uh, that came out of it and started realizing, you know, kids that were spending a lot of time on backcountry canoe trips and stuff, when uh, tricky situations came up in life seem to really have amazing mental capacity and physical capacity to deal with the unknown. So I got really geeky and started really studying and thinking about, well, what is it about spending time in nature and the outdoors that just naturally kind of cultivates really resilient, adaptable people? Um, and then the other thing that came out of that, so that you know, that's a whole long story that I won't get into, but that led me down many different rabbit holes, uh, studying leadership skills, which led me into studying risk management, paradigms and decision making paradigms. Um, and then where I've been on lately and really interested in is this whole concept of, like, what are universal principles that cross from one discipline to the other? So, for example, I've been practicing wilderness survival in what we call the eastern forest uh, or eastern woodlands habitat for you know 15 years now. And a few years ago, I decided, cool, I'm going to go and do a survival trip in the desert. So I went down the Sonoran Desert down in Arizona. And uh, I went out there for a couple of weeks. Now I didn't go like, you know, make it with a knife or anything like that. I brought some water and some basic gear, but I went out to basically train in the desert. And I intentionally didn't do any desert training. Uh, I didn't basically do any research before going down. I just went down and and went for it and threw myself in. And what I wanted to see is, could you take the principles of survival in the woodlands of this habitat and apply them to a completely different ecosystem? Uh, and sure enough, I, I was blown away. Um, by how it worked. And pretty quickly I was able to figure out what plants I could make fire with, like friction fire. Uh, I was able to even figure out certain things that I could eat. Um, really interesting story. The hardest one at first was water. And I'm glad I brought water with me because it was about three days before I found any water to drink and oh, wow. how, we, how it was me and my wife that did it, how we eventually found water. We're walking up this mountain valley one day and we're actually tracking a mountain line. Uh, and what was interesting, I'd never been in cat habitat before. And one thing that I learned about in the Eastern Woodlands is listening to birds to tell you when there's predatory species like black bears or uh, wolves, things like that. Birds can be amazing indicators of things that you can't even see. So we were actually listening to the birds to give us an indicator as to whether there might be a mountain lion along. And all of a sudden we noticed there's all of these insects and they're all swarming on this one patch of sand. Um, and I don't know if you guys know this trick for survival, but one way to, to purify water Um, at least as a starting point and as a last resort, if you were to say find a creek with the sandy shores, you can go in from the shoreline, dig a hole in the sand, um, give it an hour or two and the water seeping through uh, is going to be a lot safer to drink. Now I want to say, I can never, without being able to test, you're not going to be able to guarantee it. I'd rather boil it if I can, but the water seeping through the sand is going to be a lot safer than just drinking right out of the creek on its own. Uh, A lot of that bacteria is going to get stuck on the sand as it goes through. So we see all of these insects and we get down on our hands and knees and we realize they're licking the pebbles and we think, oh, I wonder if the water table is in here. So we dig a hole into the sand, go off and hike for a bit, come back an hour later and sure enough, our hole filled up with water. And then that became our water source for the rest of the week. Um, So going from there, you know, I was thinking about, cool, I took these principles from an eastern woodland habitat and I applied them to the desert. Uh, I'd already been thinking about, uh, you know, emergency management and what does it look like to survive in this quickly changing world from like an urban perspective and an urban planning and uh, more of like prep or preparedness. So then I started thinking, well, what principles can we take from the wilderness and now apply to an actual career in emergency management and even urban design, kind of with preparedness in mind? It always that kind of
2: reminds me of uh, what is it? It was Darwin's second principle that said the it's not the strongest that survive, but the
3: most adaptable. Mm, I like it. I think that was Uh, a Darwinism. I'm not sure. sure. I'm not 100 sure. I think that's what it was. I think you're right on that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's no better mentor in adaptability than nature. You know. Absolutely.
1: It's just a quick question here. I just on the show notes. We're looking at the EOC. Is that an emergency operations center? Yeah. Okay, I wasn't sure what, what that one, but <laughs> so you did mention the fact that you uh, you learned some basic principles that you could carry on for wilderness survival, and you uh, you figure that it can also be applied to modern day disaster preparedness. Uh, can you give us some examples of that as well?
3: Sure. Well, you know, there's when we look at any kind of skill set, there's like tactics um, that are very specific to that skill set, and then there's principles. And you know, if I was going to give you an example for people that know a little bit about wilderness survival. You know a tactic for lighting fire could be using a match or another tactic could be making something like a bow drill or a hand drill like a friction fire right uh those are tactics but the principle of fire is like that fire triangle we need a heat source we need fuel we need oxygen and if you understand the principles of it then you can go into any habitat any situation figure out how do i play with these principles uh so i really like approaching skills from that perspective Uh, So an example of taking like a wilderness skill and applying it to like urban or disaster survival and prepping, um, some of you might be familiar with a a shelter called a debris hut. So a debris hut is basically taking a bunch of leaves or you know, moss, uh, bark, all kinds of things. And you're basically making like a squirrel's nest. If you guys know those like gray squirrel drays. And what you're doing is you're capturing dead airspace. So any shelter, you need to be able to capture heat, whether it's the internal heat of your body or an external heat source, you have to have some way of capturing it. That would be the principle. Um, and when you create layers of fiber, you create pieces of dead air space. So, for example, a debris, hut. all of those, you know, it's not the leaves that are keeping you warm. It's actually the little pockets of air that are held in between the leaves that can escape really well. And the internal heat of your body actually warms this tiny little space. And that warmth is uh, you're basically slowing down how fast it escapes the shelter through those little pockets of air. It's the same way that a down jacket works, right? Uh, A down jacket that you throw on you is like a debris hut. So if you want to think about there's a wilderness principle making a debris hut, how do you apply it to an urban disaster? So imagine auto ice storm again. Uh, The power has been out for five days. It's uh, in minus temperatures. Your house temperature is starting to go. You could take that same principle and you could actually make your own jacket by literally taking like newspaper and stuffing the inside of your shirt. Or you could also go and make a debris hut inside of your house. But instead of making it out of sticks and leaves, you make it out of stuffed animals. You make it out of pillow. And let's assume you have kids. You make it yeah. Don't judge. Uh, you make it out of mattresses. You make it out of blankets. You make it out of old clothing. So you use the same principles of design, uh, but you make it in that urban setting. I actually just made a video on doing that uh, not too long ago on my YouTube channel. And it's, uh, it's a pretty fun one. Cool.
2: Actually, we should I remember back many up. years ago. Um, remember many, many years ago uh, in the winter, uh, <laughs> working in security, I ran across a um, an urban survivalist. Maybe that's the most PC term. Um, and he—that uh, was exactly what he did. He took—he had—he had a—he had, had a jacket, and he just stuffed it with newspapers and um, his pants and everything, just to keep keep himself warm. Um, and yeah i was i was thinking about that as you were as you were talking about that and i was like yeah that's probably the most the smartest thing that i could have done to keep himself warm when
3: it was minus 40 outside yeah i think about it when i see homeless people in the city all the time and i'm like wow these folks need to go and do a, a wilderness survival class cuz there's so many principles that they could just apply with urban materials you well, know? oh,
1: they, could, they could almost teach it. I mean, I would call them minimalists at that point. I mean, they, uh, they managed to get by with a, a lot of stuff a lot of times, for sure. Mm-hmm. We should probably circle back on the uh, the bird language for a second. I was just thinking <laughs> when you were mentioning that, like, you know, everything from birds to squirrels to even dogs in the urban environment. I mean, there's certainly a lot to be said about how, knowing how to read the environment with that, isn't
3: there? Oh, yeah. And, and I think it's absolutely, you know, crucial. Uh, a lot of people don't realize that, you know, uh, we might think that, oh, cool. Birds make nice kind of sounds. That's pretty. Uh, you know, it's enjoyable, but people don't actually realize that there's a language that's going on there that the birds are speaking. And for most of human history, people have been able to actually read this language. Uh, and you know, and you don't necessarily mean like read it word for word, but birds tell us about the weather, they tell us about threats, uh, they tell us about all kinds of stuff and can really expand our senses. Uh, so, for example, uh, a couple of weeks ago, we had a really, really massive windstorm, 100 kilometer hour winds. Uh, which, you know, if you live on the ocean is maybe no big deal up where we are in the central part. Yeah, that's, that's quite high. And, uh, so I was saying the morning of the storm, it was about 11 o'clock in the morning. And usually, you know, right after the sun comes up, there's a big blast of bird activity, right? And then it starts to kind of taper off as the day goes on as the birds get about doing their thing. So by 11 o'clock, you know, you hear a little bit of action going on from the birds, but it's not as loud as it was at say 7am when the sun came up. So anyways, it's 11 a.m. and the birds are going absolutely nuts. And I remember sitting there thinking, wow, the birds are sure making a lot of activity right now. Like this isn't within their normal thing to be making this much noise at 11 a.m. And a lot of them were making alarm calls and frantic what we call companion calls, Uh, companion calls that they're checking in on each other. Uh, There's different types of calls that they make. So I'm listening to all these alarm calls, uh, an excessive amount of panic calls or sorry, companion calls. Companion calls are really common during mating season. It's not mating season yet. And they're making tons of companion calls, checking in on each other. And then about 45 minutes later, the birds go absolutely silent. And then about another 45 minutes go by, and then all of a sudden we just get hit by a wall. These super intense winds, the trees are bending over sideways. Uh, And it's amazing that these birds actually told us that this storm was coming in uh, at least two hours before there was any real obvious uh, change in the weather. Now, as I said, as you learn to read the weather, Uh, there was all kinds of indicators that were coming for two days before, but how many people actually know how to read that language anymore? And I think relearning some of those skills is what made our ancestors who lived outside uh, are partially outside 365 days a year. So adaptable and resilient. Uh, And I think why so few people uh, just can't hash it out in the woods anymore is because we've lost the ability to read that story of nature and, and get that useful information. You know, we rely on our phones Um, but imagine we could actually glean that information just from our surroundings.
1: Well, I think part of our lizard brain still realizes that when the birds go absolutely, absolutely silent, that there is something going on, you know? So I think even subconsciously, we still kind of pay attention to that, but what that, may mean it's another mean like like you said you know not everybody knows what the weather means like you know it used to be like if you look at the horsetail clouds up high you know that the next day you're gonna have some rain type of thing and mm-hmm. um but not everybody does a meteorology course anymore or, or or has anything passed down from the grandpa to them so yeah it's, it's yeah. certainly a lost skill for sure or,
3: or even pays attention you know uh, as you say I, I feel like today you know people i think you know, people from um, generations that are, are slightly older, you know, that were brought up playing outside, some of those things like noticing the birds might just be intuitive for them because they, even though they weren't mentored, they just spent time outside, you know, they've observed it. Uh, my experience working with a lot of youth today, because I actually teach a course where I, I work with people training to work in the outdoors. Uh, and to be honest, most of them are completely oblivious to stuff like that. I don't know that they even would notice if, uh, if the birds did go totally quiet. Like, they just have no brain patterning around it whatsoever, you know? Uh, And I I feel like that's actually changing from one generation to the next even right now.
1: It's interesting. Yeah, like, I've actually started to pay a lot more attention to my animals on the farm as well. Like, in the last five years, we've really noticed a change in in the family. and the fact, that we do pay attention to the animals a lot more, what they're doing, what they're looking at. And even, like you said, when the birds go silent, it's one thing. I mean, uh, trust your gut is what it boils down to because it's there for all of us. I think that mm-hmm. we just have to kind of relearn it because um, yeah, like I said, part of that base brain that we have is is still in tune, but uh, maybe we just don't listen to it anymore, so.
3: Yeah, I'll, I'll share a couple more examples just around uh, I, where I feel knowing ecology can be really helpful in, in disaster preparedness, survival, and even urban design and lifestyle design. Uh, but I find getting to know uh, the trees uh, is a really, really useful one as well. So in Toronto, Uh, I want to say, and I'm I'm making this number up, so don't quote me on it, but I bet you like 80% of power outages are caused by one species of tree that is notorious for its branches breaking in a windstorm. Um, Now, most people, I doubt today, even know what the name of that tree species is or could idea it, you know? Uh, And there'll be some older folks that probably do, older Europeans and, and folks that were brought up on the land. But imagine you're stuck outside in a windstorm. How useful is it to know what tree is actually the safest one to stand under, even, right? some trees are more inclined to blow right over. Some trees are more inclined to break branches. Some trees are really, really strong and solid, you know? So having an understanding of trees is super, super useful when you think about wind, or it could even tell you, like if I'm looking at uh, around my backyard and I want to think, um, looking at my power lines, looking at my windows, do I need to cut that branch off of the tree? Well, the species is relevant. Because if it's an Oak tree, you can probably have a big branch hanging over your shed and not worry about it. If it's a, a Manitoba maple, you want to cut that branch down because uh, it's going to cause you a lot of grief later on right
2: hmm. that's good so my 150 my foot manitoba maple that's 12 feet back uh, back deck is probably a good thing to uh, deal with I,
3: I would i would put a little bit of thought into that yeah <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh that's very interesting
3: we actually did a really interesting i did a, a staff training for uh, an outdoor camp so they do uh, summer camp programs for kids Um, And they're in a very remote area. They don't have any internal structures. And it was kind of fun. I did this whole ecology lesson where we went and looked at the different ecosystems on the property and then chatted about different types of weather. So if we had a tornado, high wind, hail, flooding, what would be the best ecosystem to be in in different types of weather conditions? And sure enough, we basically mapped out different parts of the property that they would go to depending on what was going on, uh, because certain types of ecosystems are more inclined to be resilient. Uh, to different types of weather events. Hmm.
0: Ah, Interesting. Uh, Another question for you, Chris. Uh, So tracking and ecology, um, do these relate to prepping and survival uh, as well? And do you have
3: any examples of this? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, all of this, I mean, as I said, I think knowing the trees and stuff like that's a useful one, like I just brought up there. Um, Even thinking about, you know, if you need to make, let's say you're in an urban scenario, and maybe I'll go back to the ice storm scenario, because I keep referencing that. And let's say uh, the power has been out for five days and everything's cold. I need to boil some water or I need to cook up some, the last of my soup, uh, or I just need to stay warm, you know? And I'm gonna go in and harvest some wood from the trees around my neighborhood, you know, little branches, whatever. Maybe even got like one of those little bio-like stoves or something like that. Uh, Understanding that not all wood burns equally, right? Um, There's very different BTU units from one tree to the next tree. And there's a lot of people, a lot of people I know that are adults that have been building fires their entire life are actually really, really inefficient in building fires. So if I've got limited time, limited resources, even limited trees to choose from, and I need to think about being as efficient as possible, knowing exactly what species I want to harvest to get the best coals to be able to cook my meal, you know, because I can carve it, harvest a whole bunch of again, uh, willow branches, let's say and they're going to burn up super, super quick. They're going to have no coals. I'm going to need a lot of willow. Whereas I can get a handful of sugar maple branches and they're going to burn for three times, if not four times as long and way hotter. So even those little things would be really useful if you're in an urban survival situation, right? Uh, Just thinking about boiling some water in the backyard. Uh, Maybe you're in a situation that's really dangerous and you don't want to have smoke giving away your location. What type of trees are going to give you and what kind of fire design is going to give you the least amount of smoke? Uh, so ecology is really related to all of that stuff. And then, of course, tracking, um, you know, for human protection, you can learn so much about knowing who's in your neighborhood, what they were up to. Um, yeah, the, the list is endless. Well,
1: it's interesting, yeah, for us out west here, I mean, we have the cedar to get the, wood, the fire going because it's got enough oil and it, it'll always burn. But then, of course, uh, to actually keep the coals going, we wanted Arbutus or Madrona, I guess they also call it, because uh, it's just, it's almost like coal, it burns so, so dense and it's so hot. So it's uh, it's definitely a good choice of uh, wood, if you know, depending on what you want to do with it, for sure.
2: This is all really cool information. So, Chris, tell us how how do people get started into this? The the wood survival, specifically, better understanding their ecology. What's the what's the best way to get going?
3: Yeah, well, I mean, a good starting if you if you don't camp already, like I'm I'm thinking about people that have just been brought up in a total urban context. Uh, it's amazing how much just learning to camp can do for you. You know. Uh, just going out there, buying a tent, going out to a campground. Uh, I think about the last couple power outages that we've had in Ontario. and it's really interesting if you track some of the stories. There's some people that were like it was an absolute nightmare for them and they were freezing cold and they were miserable and they were scared. Uh, meanwhile, their next door neighbors just pull out their camping gear and camp in the backyard or camp in the family room for a week, right? Uh, so learning to camp is a good starting point. Um, I really just recommend people you know watch a couple of YouTube videos, read a couple of books and just get out there and be curious and explore. I've taken a ton of survival courses. I'm a big fan, there's some great survival uh, schools all across Ontario, all across Canada, all across the world, really. Uh, So taking a course is great, Uh, but really at the end of the day, you gotta put in the dirt time and just get out there and experiment, you know? Like for example, on the fire challenge I threw out there, a really fun thing you could do is go out uh, to a place where you're allowed to have a fire, make sure you do it in a a way that's safe, you're not gonna burn anything down or start a forest fire. Uh, But make four fires side by side, and make, you know, two softwood fires. So make one out of cedar, make one out of spruce, uh, make one out of maple, make one out of a softer wood, like poplar or something, and watch, light them all at the same time. Watch all four of them burn. You'll learn so much from that exercise about the different qualities of wood and why you might want to use, all of them are useful woods, but I would use them all for different scenarios, right? Uh, So just get out there and start being being curious, you know?
1: So uh, you've been working on a course by yourself as well uh, that gives us a a bit of a basic intro to survival uh, with an online course component, isn't there?
3: Yeah, I've got a really exciting project that's just about to go live. Although uh, this, I don't know if this quite is on the the wilderness ecology theme, although that's kind of woven into everything I do. Uh, But something that I've been thinking about a lot lately is so many people know they should be better prepared. Uh, People are watching the news, they're hearing about like the wildfires in California. They know there's the threat of the earthquake. Uh, you know, the hurricanes, flooding, Uh, there's been some floods in some really unusual places the last couple of years that don't normally get a lot of flooding. Uh, Yet people still don't seem to find the time. So I got thinking about, okay, if we're going to get people to be more prepared, we need to make it really practical. Like it has to fit within the reality of our already busy lives. Uh, We've got to make it fun and we've got to get results really quick so people can get it done uh, and then move on with life. So that's kind of what I was thinking about um, and wondering why people don't show up to live courses or get more into prepping. So I came up with this fun uh, course adventure we call Survive the Storms that's basically this seven-day online course that you do from home. And I don't even want to call it an online course because uh, what we're basically doing is we're role-playing a disaster scenario, the storm of the century coming through. So imagine this. You uh, you tune in and you watch a, a newscast. The news anchor comes on and says, cool, there's this massive storm coming in. Uh, this is what's going to look out. They bring on a survival expert, uh, which is me. And I basically give you a challenge to do in the next 24 hours while you go about your normal day. So you can watch this newscast after dinner with your kids. Uh, It's entertaining. You know, it's more fun than Netflix, I think. And way more practical. You watch the video and then you're given a challenge to work on for the next 24 hours. You know, so day one is all about situational awareness and learning to map the landscape. Day two, we get into creating a family communications plan. Day three, we get into emergency kits. Uh, Day four is when the storm actually comes in and we talk about hunkering down in your home uh, and even just getting to know how the utilities work in your house, finding a safe room, like all the the things you need to. And then we move into after the storm. Cool. So the storm's gone through all the municipal water is contaminated. Uh, How are you going to gather more water if you run out of your stashes? How are you going to purify water? Uh, Day six, we get into health and hygiene. So now there's all these new threats. The storm's over, but we've got an increase of vector borne diseases. We've got mold. We've got um, all kinds of potential new health and hygiene risks. So we get into how to mitigate or sorry, how to navigate uh, this post disaster landscape. Uh, And then the last one, we actually kind of weave in some ecology, some recovery and some kind of modern emergency preparedness concepts so that in one week's time with literally spending like an hour a day and doing it in a fun way with your family, you've actually got in a family communication plan. You've got some basic kits together. We basically lay out this really solid foundation now, my hope is people will go deeper and keep going, but somebody can literally commit an hour a day for one week and then be like, OK, I'm going to pat myself on the back, go back to normal life and know that I'm like significantly more prepared uh, than I was a week ago. So that was the idea behind the program. Make it super fun, make it practical, make it fit an already busy lifestyle.
1: Well, it's interesting the fact that not much, not once did you mention zombie apocalypse or ammo stockpile, so that's pretty good.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'm disappointed, personally. <laughs> yeah. We're wearing the Sinfoil hats.
1: Yeah, so that, that's great. I mean, it's, it's something like that hasn't really been touched on before, which is a good thing, right?
3: Well, to be honest, I really wanted to go mainstream with this, you know, because there's a lot of people, the people that are already in the prepper niche that want to talk about ammo and zombies and stuff, they're already doing this stuff, right? They don't need this course. I want to chat about the the mom that's working downtown Toronto that has a couple of kids and that she's just starting to get a little bit worried, you know, and when she hears prepper, she's like, she's scared of that word or she doesn't know and she doesn't want to think about the worst case scenario. So I was kind of thinking, you know, what kind of experience could I create for just your everyday person uh, that's not going to and, and maybe it's, you know, a seed towards them becoming a prepper down the road because, you know, most people like once they meet some preppers and get to know them, they realize, well, some of them are crazy. Actually, maybe a lot of them are crazy. <laughs> 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 no, no, no They're pretty reasonable, nice folks and it's not <laughs> as crazy as they think. So really I see this course as being a bridge for kind of those mainstream people that are just starting to realize like, oh shit, what would I do? Awesome,
0: so Chris, so, how do you think
3: this course might be
0: uh, useful to all of our listeners?
3: Well, just that, I mean, if you're if you're a person that's like, you, you think about this stuff and you know you should be better prepared uh, and you have trouble finding the time, uh, then this is a great way to just say, cool, all I got to do is commit an hour a day for seven days. Bam, I'm going to get this done. And by the end of it, you're going to have a solid foundation. Uh, the other side is like, cool, maybe you're fairly prepared, but you're the one in your family that's thinking about all this stuff uh, and no one else in your family does um, or they're resistant to it. Maybe this is the bridge for them. Like if you share about your prepping, they might just think you're the tin oil hat person. Um, but this well, might be that definitely thing- happens in my house. <laughs> yeah well this might be the course that actually meets them where they're at right which is really important if we want to i mean as a teacher and a mentor i I think a lot about you know how do you meet people with where they're at so they'll actually receive the information and do something with it so this could be the bridge for some of your family members to to help them get better prepared uh in a way that kind of avoids some of the uh the the topics that we all love but that uh, that freak out the rest of the world
2: awesome you mean there aren't people that go through and count their rice Buckets. That's like people that don't do that in this world. Listen, just I don't, I don't you're, get it.
1: Just because you're paranoid doesn't mean they're not after you.
2: Exactly. <laughs> you're you're only paranoid until you're right. <laughs> that's right.
1: <laughs> no, well done. I mean, that's that's certainly a, it's it's a niche that hasn't really been taken care of at all because there's yeah nobody nobody goes from zero to a hundred percent tactical overnight and all that stuff. So, I mean, like in, in the rice buckets and whatever you. So, I mean, this is a nice, you know, kind of like a gateway drug, so to speak, for prepping. And I think that's, you know, that's that's certainly something that's needed to be done for quite a while.
3: Yeah. And then, you know, it comes out of my background working in professional emergency management where we're thinking about civilian populations and stuff like that. Right. And I wanted to think about something that's, that's relevant to into that niche. I think uh, I think Eric's actually going to have the site posted on rapid survival, aren't you, Eric? Or?
0: Yeah, I was going to uh, put it up there uh, as well. I've got a link in the show notes here uh, so people can go check it out. Um, just a quick question before I throw that link out, Chris. Uh, have you got your costing sorted out for, uh, for the course yet or are you still working on that?
3: Uh, it's it's going to be changing. So for this initial launch, depending on when you listen to this podcast, uh, it's going to be coming out at uh, $87 US for, for the first 72 hours and then going up to, I think, 97 Uh, And it's opening for only 10 days. So March 26th to April 7th, we're opening up registration and then we're closing it. And the course goes live on April 8th. Uh, I will share that, you know, if you can't start the course on April 8th, we say it's a seven day course, you've got lifetime access. So you can do it. uh, You can do it over the next two years. You can do it over a month. You can put it on the back burner, come back to it a month from now, whatever works for you. Uh, I just want to keep the momentum going with the seven days because I find that if you don't get things done fast, people tend to forget about things. And my whole goal with this course was to actually get people the results. Uh, So that's why I wanted to make it super fun, super engaging. So March 26, 2019, it goes live. Uh, If you're listening to this podcast at a later date, um, then check the link anyways, because it might have reopened up by then. But the price uh, is likely going to go up after this first launch.
0: Uh, and as far as the, the lifetime access goes, so say I've gone through the course, like the full seven days, am
3: I able to repeat it again or is that is that it? Oh sure, yeah. You can, you can go back and watch the content over and over again. It comes with a 120-ish page manual, tons of uh, resources. Uh, we've even got this fun, like Jason Bourne, like uh, situational awareness audio track that you can download to your phone and go listen to downtown. Uh, it's called Think Like a Survivalist and it's just about kind of like mapping your landscape and trying to think of what kind of things should I pay attention to if I was in a disaster. Where are there hazards? Where would I map resources? Uh, what would How I do- How far I can you? run
2: flat out at this altitude? What's that? How far I can run flat out at this altitude?
3: <laughs> totally, yeah. That that We asked that question. No, no, we don't, but- 12, 12, 12 steps, not 12 miles.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Is it too late to ask if you need any beta testers for this one?
3: We, we've gone through the beta test already, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the results from the beta test have been awesome. People are, are having a lot of fun. I, I'm really proud of this. I, I've put a lot of work and a lot of thought into it. And I've worked with a whole team of professionals to pull it off. Uh, so I, I can't see anyone being disappointed. And we're offering 100% money back guarantee. So if if you get in and it's not your thing, uh, then, uh, then refunds, no questions asked. But I, I don't expect too much of that.
0: Awesome. Well, I'm excited to check it out once it does launch to, uh, to see too. if uh, all is tied into it and, and what it all involves. It look, sounds, uh, sounds like you've certainly thought it out and you've got some good plans behind it and obviously some very good knowledge uh, in yourself and planning it and putting it together. So looking forward to seeing it. Uh, any listeners that want to check it out, uh, Chris has been nice enough to uh, let us be an affiliate. So if you do sign up with our link, uh, we get a little bit of a kickback uh, as far as the, uh, the fees go for the course, which means we get to keep lights on here at the podcast. So, uh, If you don't mind using the link, if you're listening, uh, that way we can uh, keep funding the podcast and keep it going. Uh, I've made a a tiny URL. So if you're listening and you want to jot it down, it's tinyurl.com slash prepper podcast. And that'll take you right through to uh, to Chris's course. And It's tinyurl.com slash prepper podcast. I also have the full uh, referral link that I'll put in the show notes. If anybody is uh, is listening on a device you can access the show notes on, uh, the link will be right there. You can click on that as well. So uh, if you use that link and uh, and sign up, we'd greatly appreciate it because uh, Chris gets some students and uh, we get a little bit of kickback to keep the lights on and keep the show running.
1: All right, so I guess that takes us to our podcast challenge, doesn't it?
0: It does, yeah. Yeah.
1: Alright, so it's a, it's a bit of a roundabout one, but it's not going to cost you anything, so that's a good thing. Uh, we have made you spend money before, but uh, for this one, I just want you guys to sit down, maybe uh, kick back with a little bev- beverage or so every, every night. Just take a look at uh, the prevailing wind in your area. So figure out your prevailing wind in your area as it pertains to preparedness. It should help you determine where any airborne threat will usually originate, whether it be forest fire, smoke, whatever have you, pollution. Uh, and also just try to make note of weather changes and how it affects uh, animal behavior and the wind direction. And maybe that'll give you a little more... Uh, make make you a little more in tune with your uh, local environment so it's a nice gentle one to this week
3: if you're if people are monitoring the weather on a regular basis a real fun one is if you know that the weather is going to be shifting really quick like there's a big storm coming in then use that as a bit of a cue to say hey i'm going to pay extra attention to uh which way the winds are blowing from what the clouds are doing what the birds are doing um and that'll really help people start noticing some of those subtle patterns in nature that tell us that something's shifting
0: Awesome. So if you do uh, partake in the, the podcast challenge this week, uh, flip an email to uh, feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. And that's uh, feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. Let us know what you observed. Let us know what changed, maybe what didn't, uh, what happened and, and what observations you made in regards to, uh, in regards to the podcast challenge this week. And uh, we'd be interested to hear what uh, what everybody's different views and takes are on it, and uh, and what you've observed. So, uh, again, uh, feedbackprepperpodcast.ca, and uh, we'll get your info on the next show. So we'll move into uh, episode closing. So we've got a uh, got a new section uh, of upcoming events. So this year uh, we've got the annual Preppers Meet in Desborough, Ontario. Uh, that on Earth is Desborough. So that's out. Uh, Gray County. Think,
1: uh, think like, yeah, Owen Sound or Wyerton just south of there. Okay. All right. Yeah.
0: So, uh, it's a great show. Uh, myself and Chris were actually out there last year. Uh, you can check out their website at uh, annualpreppersmeet.com. Uh, it runs July 11th to the 14th. Uh, it's great, uh, Great collection of uh, people, a great collection of instructors. I'm slightly biased on that comment because I do teach a section. Uh, <laughs> I do the uh, emergency <laughs> communications section for them. I've done that last couple of years. Uh, it's a great uh, great spot to, to go and check out.
1: Isn't uh, the uh, infamous Che uh, running that as well?
0: Yes, yeah, it's uh, Che and uh, his wife, Siska, that run it.
1: Oh, excellent. Okay, yeah. cool, yeah. But we been meaning to get to that one one of these days.
0: That's yeah, great. I've gone for the last, I think it's four years now, and it's, uh, it's been an absolute blast every year
2: where cool. oh, I'm going for my birthday. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I've got one as well. So I'm making this one up totally off the cuff. It's the first annual Western Canada Hot Springs meet. So first annual meeting, I'm just coming up with this on my own. Uh, just because there's a lot of local BC preppers here, they keep on wanting to have a neutral you know, third-party ground to meet up with. And uh, I tried to come up with this one as a, as a multi-purpose meet. So hopefully May 25th and 26th, which is a weekend after the May long weekend. So uh, May long weekend, this place is really busy. But the next weekend after, it's usually quite quiet. It's a place called Slowquit Hot Springs. Slowquit. Slowquit. It depends on how you want to pronounce it. I put a couple links in the show notes. Uh, one is a set of directions. One is a YouTube video on what it looks like. Um, I was thinking basically if we can get a bunch of uh, like-minded people to meet up there, we can do some camp craft, discussion on preparedness in general. It is a bit of an adventure to get there. Uh, if you head from... Vancouver itself, it's going to be uh, interesting because some of the bridges have been washed out so you have to go through some creeks, but uh, if you come around through Whistler, Pemberton area, it's just a forestry road to get there. Um, good test for your bug out gear, good test for your navigation skills, and it's a safe, uh, there's also a place to safely plink away at some targets on Crownland. Uh, if anybody's interested in learning how some basic shooting to go on, I'm, I usually have my uh, my kids up there with some twenty twos. we can uh, play with that as well if you're interested, but let me know you're coming by email for sure. Um, also, uh, it is marked on the maps.me app, Is Slocut Hot Springs Uh, there's a little provincial park and campground there so for sure uh, it shouldn't be too hard to find for most of us
0: awesome and uh, let's move into some shout outs
2: Uh, I'll go back take it back to the uh, the news article give a shout out to all those uh, all those poor souls in Venezuela who are reminding Mm -hmm. me that when things get really bad we really are on our own so keep up the good fight and uh, hopefully hopefully everything works out works out for the best for for you
0: all right, I'm gonna throw a quick shout out there to uh, Che and Siska, the uh, the organizers of the annual Peppers Meet. Uh, and uh, they do a, a lot of work getting things set up and, and ready to go for the, that meet. And uh, it's, a, it's a great resource for everybody. Uh, also the Zombie Survival Camp folk that uh, to help organize and, and provide the area to camp out for the weekend. Uh, great group of guys and gals, awesome organizing. Uh, and just a quick shout out to say thank you very much for keeping it going, because uh, I know everybody looks forward to it every year.
1: Cool. I've got one as well for uh, A Company Military Surplus in Coombs, BC, which is a interesting little spot. There's a really uh, touristy spot right next to them called Goats on a Roof, where all the people show up and try and get pictures in front of these goats on the roof and stuff. And Literally two doors down, there's this old military surplus place run by a couple of military guys. They're the nicest guys in the world. They actually don't run a whole lot of Rothko Chinese-made stuff. They actually do legit military surplus, and they were actually clearing out some Gore-Tex jackets there, um, Three season military cortex jackets, Air Force Blue versus olive drab green. But twenty five dollars. And um so for like a farm jacket, you know, a bug out bag jacket, whatever, you can't beat the price. And uh a couple old retirees, it's nice to support the local guys for sure. So I thought I'd give them a little shout out nice. because they uh they were super nice about it. Awesome.
0: All right, so let's move into some email. And I'm cool. just
3: holding the, uh,
0: the podcast. Oh, actually, we got a few other uh we got crystal for a shout out. Never mind.
3: Oh, sure. Yeah. I'll just give a shout out to you guys here. It's been, uh, it's been a blast to come on here. Thanks for for bringing me on the show and letting me, uh, letting me share a little bit about my passion. Uh, hopefully I'll see some of your crowd over at changingworldproject.com, which is my blog there, if people want to connect more. And uh, yeah, uh, it's been really fun watching this show progress from the, uh, the very first couple of episodes to where it is now. Uh, so yeah, just shout out to you guys. Thanks for having on. Thanks for spreading this good knowledge uh, out to the world.
0: Awesome. Thanks for coming out tonight, Chris. We uh, greatly appreciate it. It's been lots of really good information. So now we can move into some email. <laughs> 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 All right. So we've had a couple of emails since the last uh, last show. Uh, first one we have here reads, uh, Hey guys, I'm Mike. I'm 22 from Chilliwack, BC. I uh, just recently discovered your podcast and so far I'm loving it. So far we're starting out great with this email. Love You guys
3: forward. suck.
0: Uh, I would love to hear you guys talk about uh, types of gear you use for hunting prepping and even would like to hear about uh, you you all talk about EDC in a Canadian environment that's legal here Uh, like what you're always carrying on your person as well like even a get home bag where you may have your bug out items ready to go and how uh, different types of gear tools can help different situations and seasons uh, or weather in your city versus a secluded area Uh, thanks for the podcast guys that's That'd very a interesting.
1: Episode. Yeah, fun episode. Actually, I was just thinking, like the thing that came right out to my mind is like you know carrying uh, jumper cables that another car can help you with versus the, the thing that you have in yours, Eric, the uh, the the entire like self-contained battery charging system. So where you don't need a second car, right? So there's certainly uh, depending on your, on your situation and your location, it certainly make a difference.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's uh, every time we get emails, we keep adding to the uh, the possible topics <laughs> of the show. So this is great. We're going to keep going for a while as long as a
2: few Perfect. people up for Chris's course. <laughs> and, and buy stuff from rapid survival.com. Yeah, sure, that helps as well. Yeah.
3: <laughs> actually, can I just throw out to you? Are you guys, I don't know, do you answer the emails right now or? I'll uh, we we
0: kick be- back a few emails uh,
3: afterwards, text based, uh, and we just kind of hope that they're listening to, you to the next episode. Awesome. I'll just throw it out to Mike. I'm actually doing a video on, uh, on my EDC that's, I think, literally coming out tomorrow. So if you go to the Changing World Project YouTube channel, I'll have my EDC video coming out live.
0: Perfect. I'll flip a reply email to uh, to Mike here after the show too, so he gets that in case he doesn't get a chance to listen for a awesome. bit. Okay. So we got another, a uh, little bit of a lengthy one here. Uh, it says, hello there from Calgary. Uh, I've been listening to the podcast ever since you guys started doing it. And it's been a great experience listening to the Canadian perspective. You guys bring the prepping. Uh, I'm not much of a prepper myself, but I became interested in the idea after my wife and I moved from Calgary or moved to Calgary from BC. Uh, During the drives across the province, I had a lot of time to think about what could happen uh, if we were ever in an accident or stranded on the highway far from any help or cell phone reception. I decided it would be a smart idea to put together a kit for each of our vehicles that could help get us in an emergency if we were, or help get us in an emergency. Uh, If we are in emergency help out, uh, it might not come for hours or even days. Uh, I figured I would, I could put the contents of this kit and see what you guys think. Uh, perhaps you could give me a few suggestions on what to add and what would make it better without taking up too much space. Uh, I also thought it'd be need to do an episode on tips for the lazy prepper. Oh, not a bad idea. Small changes, uh, practices or items uh, that most prep or most non-preppers could get uh, that could have a significant effect on their preparation in the event of a catastrophe. Anyways, keep up the good work. I uh, love the show. Uh, can't wait to hear more from you guys. Uh, below is the list of contents for my Road trip emergency kit. I decided not to include any food because my wife and I always pack food on any extended journey. So the list he's got, and then maybe we can make some comments on it. Uh, he's got two big lighters, uh, one Here. small LED flashlight. Uh, take the batteries
2: out, or so it doesn't. So if it gets wet, then the batteries don't mess up your mess up the flashlight. And as we learned in
0: the EMP episode, uh, LEDs and EMPs don't mix. That's oh. correct. <laughs> he's got a pencil sharpener. Uh, to make kindling, he says. Not a bad idea.
3: Yeah, I'll throw in, if you're going to do the pencil sharpener for kindling, make sure you actually practice lighting that. Uh, too many people yeah. have these ideas that, that work in theory, and if they go to practice it, they don't actually work. So, so light a few fires with that pencil kindling, and just make sure that you've got that skill set down uh, if you want to rely on it in a disaster. You don't want to be messing around learning it for the first time when you actually need it.
0: Good call. He's uh, got... Uh, Four foil mylar rescue blankets. I know those
3: things are great. They can certainly help keep the heat in. You can make your tinfoil hat out of those too, right? <laughs> <laughs> this is true, yeah.
0: Uh, so, what else? He's got an emergency whistle. Uh, definitely a good idea to draw some attention to yourself if that's what you're trying to do. Uh, paracord bracelet.
1: I just go with right so paracord. paracord. Yeah.
2: Paracord. Yep. I, don't,
1: I wouldn't want to have to undo that thing. I'm oh, sure it's
2: possible. Yeah, it's it's the
0: thing, yeah. Yep. Uh, <laughs> let's see, and I guess as well it'd be a little bit more compact than uh, just wrapping up a bunch of paracord I would imagine.
2: Yeah, it's true. Yeah.
0: Uh, one roll of gorilla tape. It's good stuff. Tape is good. Yep. yep. More tape the better. Uh, he's got a small Sawyer squeeze water filtration system, so he was obviously listening to you, Ian.
1: Yeah, I see the Sawyer. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh, let's see, folding knife with glass, uh, glass break and seatbelt cutter. Great idea. Oh. Things are wonderful and they work both very in, very for, for, for
2: both inside and outside. Um, yep. If you, if your car ends up in the water, you may need to break the window to get out just as much as you may need to help somebody who's stuck on the inside. And you might not make, make sure you keep that within reach. where you can get out, right? Exactly. So well, if that's in your car, make sure you keep it within reach wherever you're sitting.
0: Absolutely. Yep. That's the uh, one key. It's not going to help you if you're in the trunk and you're stuck in the driver's seat. Uh, let's see. He's got one basic off-the-shelf first aid kit. That's another episode all to itself. Yes, it is. Yep, refer to the first <laughs> course, uh, or the first aid yep. uh, episode there. Um, but uh, like Chris mentioned, with the pencil sharpener, make sure you know how to use the equipment that is in that that kit because it's uh, the time that you need it is not the time to learn how to use it. Uh, he's got one electronic roadside uh, flare kit. Oh yeah. idea.
2: So keep yourself safe on the side of the road if you do break down.
0: Yep. Ah, uh, he's got a cat tourniquet. Um, so we touched on those in the uh, the first eight episode as well. Um, well. Same thing. Make sure you know how to use it.
2: Uh, and don't practice with your real life tourniquet. Make sure if you if you're gonna buy if you're gonna buy a cat tourniquet, buy two. Use one for training and keep one for keep one for reality because they do have a limited number of uses before they wear out. Exactly.
0: Uh, he's got one Israeli bandage. One is none, two is one.
1: Yeah, Same thing with the ponchos.
0: Yep. yep. Yeah, Got one large rain poncho, uh, one reflective high-vis vest, which is good. If you're stranded out in the road, you definitely want to be as visible as possible because um, people just don't know how to drive.
1: And if you're an Elberti, you're going to need at least two yellow vests.
0: <laughs> <Hello>. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> this
1: is. This is the Albertan talking. So anyway. yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and then uh final he's got here is three glow sticks. So I like the glow stick idea.
1: Just one thing he didn't touch on, which maybe he I'm sure it was kind of an automatic thing or an assumed thing, but uh, spare tires. So he either has a full size spare, a, maybe a donut spare that he wants to make sure he maintains the air pressure in, because sometimes those things go flat without anybody noticing. And either a tire puncture repair kit, a battery powered pump, or like even practicing with the jack that comes with the car. So he knows how to use it when the time comes. It's just maybe just cover that aspect too. Uh, that's a more Absolutely. likely the uh, hazard to encounter right in the, in the car more than anything else is a flat tire, so.
2: Absolutely. Um, so, I mean, it, it, it's, a, it's a great, it's a great list. There's a, there's a lot, there's a lot of stuff here that is uh, that is really useful and clearly well thought out. Uh, looks like you plan to spend a spend a night in the on the side of the road, uh, waiting for waiting for help, which is fantastic. Um, to add on a couple of these items, um, like that Sawyer squeeze, add another bottle, so you've got a place to. Collect the collect the water so you so you don't have to necessarily put your face down into a puddle and then get that and then get that going. I'd suggest um, making the
3: stainless steel if you're going to have a second bottle too. Yes, you can absolutely. It
2: it, right. Beat me to it. Yes, absolutely. Um, the Israeli bandage is good. If you're if you're going that far, then add a um, add a chest seal or two um, because puncture wounds happen and thorax sucks. Um,
1: well, and most I see we're gonna scroll off into the first aid section again, but I mean, yeah, like most, <laughs> most off the shelf first aid kits don't have like a pressure dressing or something like that. No. Or at least a couple
2: of well, but that, but that's what the Israeli bandage does. So he, so he's covered. He's covered yeah. the basics. He's covered the tourniquet and the Israeli bandage, which are, which are both great. Again, as long as you know how to use them. Yeah. Um, so I would at least double up on the uh, on the Israeli bandage, um, throw in a chest seal with that, and uh, take a um, take a uh, take a course. Um, before all of this, though, um, the only thing I didn't see on this list is printed maps. It's great to have a compass, but if you don't know where you're heading, don't know where you are, then a compass just tells you which you know which 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 rate which way you're facing. So, add uh, make sure you add maps and make sure that you have a make sure that you have a. Um, a flight plan filed with somebody that is, you know, at least, at least one responsible person is not part of the trip so that um, somebody knows to come look for you if you don't show up and where they should find you. Wow, some great, uh, some great tips. Uh, we
0: will move to the Podbean reviews. I know every episode I keep saying uh, I, we've got some Podbean reviews and uh, I always miss them. So I made a point to check uh, <laughs> uh, before we actually started recording. So we do have a couple. Uh, we've got one here that reads, uh, you all need an email for comments. Uh, so I will just uh, mention the fact that uh, feedback at prepperpodcast.ca, in any comment you want, positive, negative, doesn't matter. Uh, so we do have an email. Uh, great show. Uh, I was just wanting to make a couple of comments after listening to the tinfoil hat episode. Uh, I- <laughs> but why? <laughs> I'm I'm surprised there's just the one (laughs) it's there's no instructions on how to make tinfoil hats don't worry Uh, (laughs) so I have a friend who's a doctor uh, a GP Uh, they tell me that most doctors are not predisposed to be pill pushers but most patients don't want to hear or already know the cure in quotes uh, to their health issues Uh, 90% of our society's health issues can be eliminated by doing four simple but not easy things exercise good food Ah, uh, good for you. Food, not tasty, easy food. Uh, in moderation, uh, drink lots of water and get lots of sleep. Doing these three things will get you healthy. And other than serious health problems or diseases, will or other serious health problems or diseases will solve your need for pills.
1: Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. We were talking about that the other day with my wife. Uh, you know how like the, there's certain generational differences too. And I, I noticed that, I guess I'll call them the greatest generation. We're always the ones that had like the pill dispenser uh, packets that had like, well, this one offsets the the symptoms that this one gives me. And this one I have to take three times a day. And, and it, it seems like, the, yeah, they were con- convinced, I guess, that pills would be the, the be all and, and, you know, end all of all their problems. Because I think now the next generation has moved along and say, well, maybe if we just take care of ourselves to begin with, we wouldn't have these problems. And yeah, I'm sure doctors don't want to be pill poppers per se, but there is a industry in place to to ensure that happens, though too, right? That that's a big pharma, as we're talking about.
2: You got it. I'll, I'll give I'll give I'll give doctors the benefit of the doubt and say the average doctor is not um, is not doing anything malicious in order to um, in order to you know make extra money from a kickback from the from the pharmaceutical company, which we all know is illegal, and we all know that all doctors are above reproach. So That said, um, the amount of advertising that the pharmaceutical industry does that gives us the patients an easy way out uh, makes it more, makes, the, makes the patient the pill pusher more so than the doctor. And when a doctor has a caseload far higher than they can possibly manage, it's easy enough to just say, yes, you're right, that will solve that will reduce your symptoms to your prescription, get it at the door. Well, especially so, when you go to no, the
1: U.S. and watch those commercials down there, it's it's nonstop with the uh, the pharma commercials compared to oh, Canada, yeah. at least
2: Non-stop. So I, I don't I, I agree with this with this uh, um, this reviewer this comment that uh, you're you're absolutely right most GP most GPs most physicians are not interested in that. Um, I don't know any. I mean I, I know a fair number of people in the medical world. I don't know any one of them that says no. You're better off taking a lot of drugs. Uh, but the pharmaceutical companies that make all those drugs definitely don't want us to be healthy. All right, yeah.
0: One other uh, comment here on Podbean. Uh, so it's uh, in regards to the device we we're talking about that hooks up to uh, your power meter. Uh, the device described in your podcast to uh, get easy backup power to your home is a Generac ring. Uh, unfortunately, you should have an electrician install the device as the ring uh, needs a neutral connection, which will likely require a progressional, uh, to make alteration or professional, sorry, uh, he type, type professional, but he means professional. Uh, to make <laughs> alterations to utility meter socket, uh, in my jurisdiction, the uh, supply authority power provider will not do this work as their meter socket is customer-owned equipment. Uh, they come in two sizes: 30 amp and 60 amp. Uh, last I checked, the 60 amp models are no longer being manufactured. The 30 amp model is large enough that uh, size of the generator dependent, of course. Uh, you can run a furnace deep freezer refrigerator and your television and some some basic lighting uh easily able to handle a 500 or five thousand five hundred watts or seven thousand peak watts
2: uh, absolutely if you're, if you're gonna do if you're gonna do, do it right um preppers in general tend to be pretty much do-it-yourselfers um but whenever you're messing with line power just just let a pro handle it absolutely absolutely yep
0: yeah, your preps are not going to be any good to you if you're uh, you're no longer with us.
2: You can't you can't help your family and friends if you're dead. Nope. Just don't get Sorry. dead. Yeah. <laughs>
1: but I saw on the A e- team once that they did it. In- <laughs> oh
2: boy, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: so it's a, it's a busy episode for reviews. Uh, we've got a couple of new ones on uh, iTunes as well. Uh, so we've got one from March third from. Uh, Dark Star Electric, and I didn't line this up to go with the the power comment there. It's just the way it worked. Uh, (laughs) This uh, this is a great Canadian podcast geared towards everyday people who believe in being prepared, uh, not prepared for zombie apocalypse, but for events that can and do happen every day. Power outages, floods, fires, ice, snowstorms, and medical emergencies that can come up. Uh, They share fantastic tips and tricks as well as their own personal kits. Uh, I've been inspired to personally prepare my family, uh, I've started stocking up on water when it's on sale and adding first aid kits to my truck as well as my daddy backpack that he's got in quotes. Uh, the episode on Ham Radio has me looking into learning more about amateur radio and getting my license. Uh, thanks for a great show and keep up the good work. And we got five stars out of that one too. Go us. So that! Yeah. And we've got one from March the 10th uh, from NV35S. Uh says, been listening since episode one. Uh, that's the one where I think it was a total of eight minutes of me just gabbing to myself. Uh, oh, <laughs> glad Oh, I a know how you feel about
2: that. <laughs> he's, he's
0: got, uh, got you beat, Ian. Yeah. 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 I, I only had to this by myself last night, but so that was good. <laughs> yep.
2: Uh, he
0: says, I really enjoyed the knowledgeable and uh, perspectives given by the guests and members uh, of the show where some people might laugh at the lengths some would go to to ensure the safety in the event of a disaster disaster. I think being prepared can't be stressed enough. I like the tips you give for the listeners and how to improve self-reliance and look forward to each show you come out with in the future. And we got another five star rating on that one. So much appreciated. We're up to uh, 15 total five stars and uh, we still got that one little guy at four stars. So that's right don't worry about that little
1: guy you can't let that one don't go. don't
2: worry don't about <laughs> <laughs> okay. well, that's, that's that okay and, and thanks to those listeners i mean that's uh you know that makes us uh, makes it makes it worth doing what we do it's great to know that we're not just uh we're not just talking amongst each other which isn't bad uh, you guys are great to hang out with and i'm glad that other people are listening too
0: no it's great and uh yeah as we keep moving along here we're starting to uh to pick up some steam with the comments and uh, and the feedback email so it uh just lets us know, too, that you guys are out there listening and, uh, and that we're actually doing something that's worthwhile. Uh, not that spending an uh, evening chatting with huge fine gentlemen isn't worthwhile, because it certainly is, but uh, it's nice to know that uh, we're getting some information out to people that might not necessarily have it readily available.
1: I'm still waiting for the hate mail.
0: Yeah, we haven't got any yet, which I find. Odd, but because uh, I, I mean, we're, we're for, Canadian, we're all too polite to send hate mail. <laughs> I'm pretty good for at least one or, or two a month <laughs> at that Rapid Survival. I get a couple where people are just off the deep end about whatever it is they want to rant about. But uh, yeah, we haven't gotten any yet. But it took a couple years on Rapid Survival to get start getting those. So maybe we need a few years of the podcast. Okay, baby. Yeah.
2: <laughs> or maybe we just need to start talking about our favorite knives and our favorite EDC knives, and then we'll start. Oh, oh, yeah. There, there, exactly.
3: I rest my case. <laughs> those plates, we'll get butchered. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll okay.
1: Whatever you guys say, you're totally wrong. My knife's the best.
3: No, no, mine is.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, with those comments, uh, I'm going to bring episode number 16 of the Canadian Prepper podcast to an end. (laughs) Uh, You can find the podcast on iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, your favorite podcast app. Uh, Please help us out. Take a few minutes and submit a review. Uh, It helps other people find us. Uh, You can also find us at uh, prepperpodcast.ca. Chris,
2: that's you.
3: So, Chris, you got a website? Uh, Yeah, so if you're interested in uh, following along with I do, check out changingworldproject.com. That's changingworldproject.com. That's the blog. Uh, You can email me, Chris, at changingworldproject.com if you got any questions about the content that we got into today. And then do you want to share that URL one more time that you threw up for the Survive the Storms there, Eric?
0: Yeah, sure. So it was, scroll up a touch here, was tiny URL it's dot com slash prepper podcast and uh, I will have that uh, in the show notes uh, if for whatever reason you can't see the show notes and you want uh, the link emailed to you just flip me an email at feedback at prepperpodcast.ca and I'll email you uh, I'll email you the link and then that way you've got it right in your inbox
2: uh, and just as a reminder, we record all these shows live on YouTube. Uh, if you want an early peek at the podcast, please subscribe to the YouTube channel, The Island Retreat. Click on the notifications tab. That gives you alerts when we are going live. Uh, if you want to reach me directly, you can find me on Instagram at ppswo Practical Prepping Southwestern Ontario. Uh, send, me a, send me a message. Let me know what cool stuff is going on, and we'll uh, we'll reach we'll, we'll contact there.
1: Sounds good. You can reach Ian directly by emailing me at theislandretreat at gmail.com. There's, there is lots of contact information for us here. You can also find me giving my uh, two cents worth of Canadian Patriot podcast, also available on iTunes and YouTube, sometimes by myself for minutes on end. Last night.
2: <laughs> and, yeah,
1: there you'll find us discussing the merits of a freer society, exposing more government waste and squirreling off on the odd tactically driven conversation.
0: All right, so please uh, check out Rapid Survival at uh, rapidsurvival.com. You can get me there in the live chat while you're uh, buying some prepper gear. Uh, you can also email me at feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. Of course, while you're still buying some prepper gear at Rapid Survival. Uh, so first off, Chris, thank you very much for uh, for joining us this evening. Uh, you've shared a wealth of information that I'm sure our listeners are going to uh, to utilize and put to uh, put to good use. So I appreciate you taking the time to uh, to be on the podcast. I'm sure we will uh, will have you back as long as you're willing to uh, to put up with us another evening. Uh, <laughs> so uh, so thanks for joining us. Uh, you can tune in for the next episode. We're going to discuss uh, financial preparedness. So everybody, get your calculators out. One plus one's four. Uh, Until next time, uh, be prepared, stay safe,
1: and keep learning.